Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Corinda High School Science Podcast. I'm Mr. Roberts, and I'm joined by Miss Icamp and Miss Batho. How are you guys? Yeah, good. Thank you, Mr. Roberts. How are you? Very well, thank you. What about you, Miss Batho? Oh, I'm great as always. So today we're going to be talking about diseases. It's a topic a lot of people have been thinking about lately, and it's a pretty important one in terms of scientific understanding. So uh, I'm going to ask you guys some questions, and I'm hoping you can give me some answers. Uh, first of all, for you, Miss Icamp, how do we get sick? Well, what does it mean to be sick, Mr. Roberts? Oh, um, well, I suppose runny nose and a bit of a cough. Uh, my baby son has tonsillitis at the moment. He whinges a lot, wakes us up in the middle of the night. I think he's got sore tonsils and sore ears. I guess that's what I mean by being sick. Oh, so you mean having being in dis-ease, a.k.a. having a disease. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about not, but when you're not healthy, like you would describe someone as being healthy as having no symptoms, waking up every day, feeling great, not having a runny nose, having energy, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how is it that, for example, uh, my son went from being fairly happy and normal to all of a sudden being in lots of discomfort and waking me up several times at night? Well, if he has tonsillitis, he might have a bacterial infection on his tonsils. So uh, diseases fall into two categories. You can have infectious or non-infectious diseases. And tonsillitis is usually infectious and it's caused by a pathogen. So it could be a pathogen such as bacteria or viruses. You mean there's a difference? Yes, there's a massive difference. So Miss Bather, can you tell me what that difference is? Well, the main difference that we need to know about between bacteria and viruses is how they are treated. We can treat bacteria quite easily with antibiotics, which were actually accidentally discovered, where viruses, we cannot kill them like we can kill bacteria. However, we can vaccinate against them. Hang on, you said we can't kill viruses. Does that mean viruses aren't alive? Whoa, Mr. Roberts, you're opening up a massive can of worms there. There's actually a massive debate as to whether viruses are alive or not. In my personal opinion, I think that they're not alive because if you think of the seven characteristics of living things, so living things need to eat food, they breathe, they create waste, they need to reproduce, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, viruses don't do any of those things. So I don't think that they're alive. Um, but that's a massive difference between bacteria is that bacteria do all of those things. They need food to eat, they reproduce, they create waste. Some of that waste is actually really toxic and is what probably is causing the infection on your son's tonsils because all that pus is because of the toxins that bacteria release. Right. So we can kill them because they're living things. And so antibiotics are just something that's designed to kill the bacteria causing the sickness in the first place. Absolutely. Bio means life and anti, it just means anti-life. Right. So that's where the word antibiotic comes from. But I presume that means antibacterial life and not anti-patient yes. life. That is a massive distinction. But one thing you do need to be careful 
when you take antibiotics is that it the antibiotics do not distinguish between the bad bacteria and your good bacteria like the which is called microflora that's why it's a good idea if you are on ha- antibiotics to have something like an inner health plus so have you had your inner health plus today <laughs> to Make sure it's not a sponsored podcast, by the way. We receive <laughs> no funding from Inner Health Plus. Yeah, to make sure that you have your good microflora, yeah, which is uh, the name for good bacteria, because your good bacteria actually keeps bad bacteria at bay. It's really good for your immune system. There's things called opportunistic pathogens that, when the good bacteria is gone, you can actually get infections because the bad bacteria or like or fungus overrides. So that's you can get. Thrush. So I can get sick from not having enough bacteria. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, you know what? Speaking of antibiotics, I remember Mr. Harry's was talking about something to do with his cattle and an antibiotic today. I might just give him a call and ask what that's all about. Yes, I'm so keen to hear what he's doing with his cattle. That sounds good. Hello, Mr. Roberts. Hello, Mr. Harry's. How are you going? Good. Look, I'm just calling you because I remember you were saying something about antibiotics and your cattle. And actually, we were just talking about that. Uh, can you explain exactly what it is you're doing with your cattle and why? Well, I certainly can. In fact, uh, it was good timing. I've discovered that one of the bulls has which is a bacterial infection that a cow can get or a bull can get if uh, something breaks through the natural barrier, the lysosome over the eye. And because at the moment I've got a few weeds and it's a little bit dusty, uh, it could have got a, a prickle in its eye or some dust in its eye that's gotten through that barrier and the bacteria then has taken hold. So I've put it in the crush and uh, I'm applying an antibiotic called Optifox. Um, there's another one called Orbinin. It's a cream, an antibacterial cream. And it does a magic job. It cleans it up very, very quickly. So it's a, a weeping away that has a very, um, uh, looks like an infected pink growth on the eye. And if it's left untreated, uh, it can get so bad that it can actually pop the eye. So this is one of those oh. things you need to very much uh, get on top of very quickly. And so that's just so, bacteria getting into the eye and reproducing and creating huge numbers of bacteria just living in the eyeball of the of the cow or the bull. That's right. And, of course, uh, there's a whole range of issues associated with the fact that if you don't treat the animal, apart from it being very sore, worst-case scenario, that infection could end up with the animal dying. Um, so this is something that I do check them quite regularly. And that antibiotic, if I didn't have it, uh, it would mean that a lot of cattle uh, would get that particular disease and it would be basically untreatable. So antibiotics have been around for a long time um, and they can be overused, but they're a very necessary part of our way of life um, when used properly. Yeah, 1928 antibiotics were discovered. There you go. Is that Mrs. Zappo? Yes, that is. Hello, Mr. Harry's. <laughs> and hello, Mr. Harry's. I'm here as well. Oh, hello, Miss I can't. Oh, they've got all the brains stuffed in today. That's exactly right. 
They uh, they no. only put those with high IQ in, and everyone else could work from home. But that's all right. <laughs> so like, I've heard that you've got a face right. made for podcasts, so I made sure that I called you up anyway. I'll talk to you later. Thank Good. you very much, Mr. Right. Harris. Not a problem. Bye bye. 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 So there you go. Obviously, uh, bacterial infections are a problem not just for people, but for animals as well. All living things suffer from bacterial infections. They do. And viruses as well. There's not just humans. All animals on Earth suffer from diseases, whether they be from bacteria or viruses. I think there was a parvo outbreak in Tamworth again recently. Yeah, there was. Actually, it's a virus. Bruno B. Bear has been vaccinated for parvo because it's really, really easily transmissible and lives on surfaces for years. So is parvo one of these bacteria that we've been talking about? No, it's actually a virus. Right. So, well, let's talk about viruses then. What sort of sicknesses can be caused by viruses? The common cold, the flu, chicken pox. Measles, coronavirus, hence it's in the name, COVID-19. But these cannot be treated by antibiotics. Actually, the best way to not, we don't treat, you have to prevent and as Mrs. Batho said earlier, the best way to prevent viruses is through vaccinations. There you go. So we can't vaccinate against bacterial infections or can we? We can vaccinate against bacterial infections, but Poop most... cough is a really good example of that. That's it. But luckily, antibiotics were discovered in, like I said, 1928, accidentally. How do you accidentally discover an antibiotic? Was it at the back of a cupboard or something? No. So Sir Alexander Fleming was actually a Scottish researcher and he was at St Mary's Hospital in London. And what he'd done is he'd actually left some penicillin, which is a fungus open on the bench next to a bacteria, when he came back the next day, he noticed the penicillin had killed the bacteria. So a lot of our antibiotics are actually fungies, which means that we've got microscopic organisms fighting microscopic organisms. Yeah. And these days it's not just penicillin that gets used. It's all different types of fungus. There's lots of research going into different types of fungus to fight new bacterial infections because of something called antibiotic resistance that has occurred from the overuse of antibiotics. And there's three different types. There's fully natural, semi-synthetic and synthetic. So synthetic means that it's made in a lab doesn't actually come from fungi anymore they've just taken this compound and they're using it and it's way more effective at treating these newer diseases that have come about from overusing antibiotics so I think the biggest takeaway message is if you have a course of antibiotics you need to take every single pill you need to finish your course so why can not finishing your course or using it too much be a bad thing I thought medicine would make us well again well, we have to call upon the biological god that is Charles Darwin at the, for the answer to this, and that is survival of the fittest. So you have all the different types of, not different types. I'm going to say it's the one type of bacteria that's causing the infection, but just like humans, there's variety that exists within a species. So humans may have blonde hair, blue eyes, different skin colour, etc., etc. All these are variations and 
bacteria also have these variations. So a common type of bacteria is E. coli. And when you take these antibiotics, you need when you start taking your course, the weakest die first. So you need to keep on taking them so that they kill all of them. Because if you finish it a couple of days early, those couple of bacteria that are super strong and antibiotics haven't worked on will not be killed. So then you wait a couple of weeks and those bacteria have reproduced, say for instance, in your ton- on your tonsils. All of a sudden you go to take the same course of antibiotics and it's not going to fix your tonsillitis. So you need to take stronger antibiotics again to try and kill this bacteria. But if you had to just finished your course to knock them on the head and kill them, then they would have all died. And through this happening heaps, we've now created a lot of antibiotic-resistant diseases. Right. So I'm hearing a few things. First of all, I shouldn't just be taking antibiotics willy-nilly because they can make me sick as well by getting rid of too much good bacteria. Mm-hmm. And secondly, if I do have antibiotics, I need to finish exactly what the script says and not take any shortcuts. Even, But what if I'm feeling good? What if I'm feeling okay? Yeah, well, that's it because you can basically eradicate all of the symptoms of the disease because most of the bacteria have died, but that doesn't mean that there's still not a couple left because they're microscopic organisms. You don't know whether there's a couple left on your tonsils. So you just need to finish the course, trust your doctor, and then hopefully all of them have been eradicated through your week-long or 10-day-long course. Right. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. And the third thing, of course, I've learned is that since antibiotics were discovered by a guy being too slobby to pack away his stuff, <laughs> I can just bust that one out next time my wife asks me to clean up after myself. That's yes. right. Mr. Roberts might make a huge scientific discovery. From being messy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. What a great excuse. All right. We might take a break here and we're going to go into a new segment called Today I Learned. <laughs> I actually read a very sweet story on Facebook of all things this morning, but I didn't know that Nicole Ritchie was adopted by Lionel Ritchie. Now, Lionel Ritchie, you may have to get someone to play some of his songs for you, and Nicole Ritchie was one of those socialite-type girls, Paris Hilton's BFF in the 90s. But one time, Lionel Ritchie was out on tour, as as musicians tend to do, And he noticed this little girl sitting on the stage all alone. As it turned out, this little girl was Nicole and her parents were working on the tour, but they were having a lot of issues romantically together, financially, and they were really struggling. So Lionel said, oh, do you know what? I can look after this little girl for you so you can sort yourselves out. Anyway, he ended up keeping her forever and they've got a beautiful relationship. And I just thought that was really sweet. That's so sweet. So mine I learnt just recently. And you know when you learn something and you just have like a proper mind-blown moment? This really stuck with me. So we've all heard the saying, sweating like a pig. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that does it. A lot of people think that that means that, oh, because pigs don't sweat, haha, like it's ironic. Well, that's actually not where the saying comes from at all. Mm. It actually comes from back in the day um, where they used to smelt iron and there's a type of iron called pig iron. And so smelting is when you melt down the 
uh, iron until it forms a liquid and then you can like manipulate it into whatever you want, mould it, like make a sword, whatever. And they needed to know when it was cool enough to touch so that it had set and it would sweat, like condensation would form on the outside of the surface and that's where the saying comes from, sweating like a pig. It's from smelting pig iron. Wow. There you go. Well, look, I learned that uh, apparently there is enough gold in tiny little fragments floating around the ocean that if somehow you drained the ocean and got all the gold into one spot, you would have enough to give every person in Australia about 35 million bucks each. What? Whoa. Oh, my goodness. How good would that be, but Too bad we don't live on the coast. We have to start draining. And too bad there's too much water in the ocean. <laughs> How much would it cost to get all the gold out? Well, speaking of which, I actually heard a fact a couple of years ago that most of the world's gold is actually in the core. There you go. So there you go. If you want to get rich kids, either drain the ocean or drill to the surface of the earth, (laughs) right through the centre of the earth, I should say. Okay, so we were just talking about antibiotics uh, and we, we can't treat viruses with antibiotics. So what do we do if we get sick with something like a virus? Well, you can, most viruses aren't going to kill you and you've just got to naturally let your body get over it. However, for very severe viruses, we've actually created vaccines. Explain to me what a vaccine is. How does that work? Basically, you get given a really tiny amount of the virus. So on the outside of viruses, there are called markers. Bacteria have it as well. And that's how your body recognizes that it's a non-self cell. So it's the contents or the RNA inside the cell. That, that's way too complicated. We don't need to get into that, but that's actually what causes you to get sick. But these markers is what allowed scientists to develop vaccines because they give you a tiny bit amount of the virus that has these markers but doesn't have the genetic material to make you sick that stimulates an immune response so you basically get the disease without getting the serious symptoms of the disease so can i get sick if i'm given a vaccine then if you just said i'm getting a little bit of the virus no you can't get sick because it's only the surface marker they take away the part of the virus that makes you sick. Yeah, which is the genetic information inside it. Right. So if a virus is like an egg, they're just giving me the shell. Yeah, that's a really, really good yeah. analogy. And it's the yolk that makes me sick? In that analogy, it would yeah. be, yeah, the yolk. Because yeah. right. it's the contents. But what about these people that say that there's other things that can go wrong with, with viruses and, and with vaccines? I've heard stuff about mercury. I've heard all sorts of things. Yeah, so they have to put stuff in vaccinations to preserve them because the protein coat that are these markers are really, really fragile, I think what the word would be. So they have to add a couple of chemicals to it to preserve them. Because, and that's why they have to be refrigerated. Um, they have to be kept at a constant temperature. And there's a really, really small window from when they go from the lab to the doctor's surgery. They were all kept at a constant temperature and they have an expiry date. So usually doctors don't keep vaccinations at hand. You have to order them in. Um, It's these chemicals that they put inside them to preserve them. So mercury in a compound is completely different 
It's kind of like how sodium is a really explosive metal and chlorine is a really poisonous gas, but together as a compound it forms sodium chloride, which is something that we really need every day for our body to function correctly. So mercury in a vaccine is not going to harm you. Plus it's a really small amount anyway. So you're saying the mercury is completely harmless because of the way that it's trapped inside chemical bonds in a molecule? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Right. And what about other people who say, well, we should just get all of these sicknesses? I remember when I was a young kid, um, I used to get um, invited over to people's houses when they had chickenpox and I used to get oh, the chickenpox chicken myself. Party. Yeah, <laughs> it was a thing. But now there's a vaccine for it. Why don't we just do that with all of the sicknesses? Because what people can't remember, because it wasn't in their lifetime, is a lot of these sicknesses were deadly or completely disabled you. Yeah, I think people forget how dangerous they were. And not only that, there is a really small amount of the population that don't have an immune system or are immunocompromised. So for instance, they are taking medication that harms their immune system, or they might have cancer and they're having chemotherapy, which reduces your immune system. And we have to get vaccinated because we have to protect the people that can't. And as Mrs. Bathory Mm -hmm. said, I feel like so many people forget how serious these diseases used to be because we have fortunately been living in a world where they've been eradicated and the seriousness of them is forgotten because of vaccinations and because of science. Just Google image smallpox. It's horrific. Google image iron lungs for polio also horrific. Your grandparents might actually be able to remember when polio was about. Yeah, I think we're just beginning to get on the Mm. cusp where even polio will be forgotten about, Mm -hmm. where they had to be put in iron lungs because it paralyzed their nervous system so they couldn't breathe anymore. But something that this generation would have no idea about. Well, I certainly don't remember polio or smallpox and I'm relatively old i know your skin is so flawless peter it's not marked by a pox scar at all yet all throughout history for thousands of years smallpox was probably the worst pandemic to hit humankind what was the queen that had really bad smallpox Oh, scars I don't know. on her face. Queen Elizabeth, she's been around for a while. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> it was, was the Queen Elizabeth the first. I think it was ago. Queen Elizabeth the first. Was it? Yeah, is that the one Margot Robbie played? I think so. Yes, yes. it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. and look, not uncommon for royals to get affected by smallpox. It affected everybody. It was so serious that if a cargo ship came into port and they had reported smallpox, they would burn the whole ship. So we're talking wine, all trading goods. You know, you think back a couple hundred years ago, you know, they didn't have airplanes. They didn't have the connections that what they do now. So these precious cargo ships would just get burnt completely because smallpox was that feared because it would either kill you or leave you completely scarred. Even, um, I think it's the Pharaoh Ramesses, Uh, His mummy has smallpox scars on his face. It has truly been one of the worst diseases to touch humankind. Mm. Uh, But we don't have to worry about it anymore because we have a like a vaccine. Vaccine got invented. Yep, that was the first vaccine Uh, that was invented by Edward Jenner. He actually noticed, and that was way back in 1796. So that's even before antibiotics. 
Um, but Edward Jenner noticed that a lot of milkmaids were not getting smallpox, even though they were exposed to it. And so he came up with the theory that the cowpox, which milkmaids were exposed to, was similar to the smallpox. And so he actually injected an eight-year-old boy with the cowpox infection that he'd actually gotten off a milkmaid's hand, one of the blisters on her hand. All in the name of science. Yeah. Yucky. So he's gotten that off the milkmaid's hand, injected it into the boy, then exposed the boy deliberately to smallpox. Never got smallpox. And that was the first vaccine. Simply giving a very similar virus. So obviously they had those exact same markers. Or similar. Similar enough for your immune system to recognise, to form a bit of an immune defence. That's it. And that was your first vaccine. Wow. But I'm guessing vaccines today are not developed in the palms of young women that work with cows. No, No. they're definitely not. (laughs) A lot more goes into it nowadays. In fact, I heard actually, and maybe you could tell me if this is true, that before a smallpox vaccine was readily available, they actually used to get the scabs from previous smallpox sufferers and wrap them in a bandage and press them against the skin of healthy people in the hope that some of that virus, but not enough to actually cause much of a damage, would be introduced into that person's system and it would work very, very similar to a vaccine. Have you heard that? Yeah, I have. And not only did they used to cut the skin and put the scab on it, they also used to crush up the scabs and get the person to tip their head back and put it in their nose. So it would go down the back of their nose. Yeah. Gross. I will never whinge about a needle again. No. No No way. I I heard this because I was reading that a librarian back in 2003, I think it was, was searching through some books in her library and she found a book from the 1800s that no one had touched. She opened it up and an envelope fell out. She picked up the envelope and it was chock-a-block full of scabs. (laughs) Yummy. What a discovery. (laughs) But all in the name of medicine, like you had to do what was available back then. We're very lucky to live when we live now. Yeah. Well, actually, a couple of days ago, I was researching types of medicines that were used back like 200 years ago in England. This is legit. I was so curious at all the different types of things that they used to use. And some of them... Like, there's just crazy. But I guess you just don't know because they didn't have the science, the technology, just the knowledge that we have access to now because of those things. Like, science has become in leaps and bounds in the last 50 years even. Um, Like, how they used to bleed people because they had to get Mm. the bad blood out. They had no idea that it was just a pathogen that was causing the disease, but they thought it was bad blood that they needed. They sometimes drain a person of half their blood. Whoa. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. But then there were some really interesting things, like the bark of a willow tree. They used to crush it up and put it in a hot tea. What's that called? It's got a name. I can't remember the name. And they would drink it and it would relieve headaches. But now we know that that same bark actually contains salicylic acid, which is used in aspirin. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. Yeah. So some of those were right. And then other people would have been like Karen from Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just spreading their misinformation. There you go. Well, look, okay, I think I have learned something today. So my original question was how we get sick. And it turns out that it really depends. We get sick sometimes by viruses. 
We get sick sometimes by bacteria. Uh, is there any other ways we can get sick? Yeah, lots, because we were just talking about infectious diseases. Then there's the whole other section of non-infectious diseases. But we might have to go into that on another podcast. Yeah, that is definitely another episode's worth. It There's a lot to that as well. Right. So we can get infectious diseases, which we've talked about today. That's viruses and bacteria. And we can get non-infectious diseases, which we'll have to talk about later. We can treat bacterial infections with antibiotics as long as we do exactly what the doctor says and because otherwise we could make things worse. But we shouldn't use antibiotics for viruses because that won't do a thing. Yeah, don't use them on yeah. your cold. Won't do anything. And with viruses, most of the time, we've just got to try and ride the whole thing out and wait till our body just recovers naturally. Yeah, pretty much. But with Mr. Roberts, you've learned so much today. But we can prevent a lot of these particularly nasty viruses with vaccines. Yeah. Yes. And some of the worst ones we've eradicated through vaccines. Very good. So... That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I think uh, I've got a lot to think about and hopefully we can come back and learn some more about non-infectious diseases on the next one. Yeah, I've had so much Sounds fun, good. guys, and hopefully our lis- listeners are going to learn a lot as well. I hope so. All right, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.